0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumboldt.org. Let me start by posing to you a scenario, all right? If I were uh, to go into the community of Humboldt, uh, whether in person or even posing this question online, and I just ask the question, do you believe in God? The response would be probably overwhelmingly, yes. And yet if I were to follow up that question with another question and I would ask this, so what difference does God make in your daily life? I'm guessing there would be some blank stares. What do you mean, what kind of difference God makes in my daily life? I'm not not sure how to answer that question. And likewise, if I were to ask this question to mainly Christians today, if I would ask this question, hey, do you believe in eternity? Do you believe that there's actually a heaven and a hell? I think all of us would say yes. Yeah, we affirm that truth. Yeah, we believe and embrace that there is an eternity. And yet, If I were to follow up that question and ask you sincerely, if you're honest, how does knowing there's a heaven and hell make a difference in your daily life? What would you say? Does it? Does it make a difference? I think many of us here, uh, it doesn't make much of a difference In fact, if I were to observe your life throughout the week, kind of take a a video uh, of your life, and to see your life compared to the life of maybe a lost person, would your life look differently because of your belief in eternity? Our culture doesn't really acknowledge that there is an eternal heaven, eternal hell. There's no category for that. We just don't take that very seriously. We're swept up into the here and now, aren't we? I mean, what's, what's right in front of our faces, right? What's, what's the, the tyranny of the urgent, right? What, what's most pressing on our minds is just the day-to-day family life, uh, work life, uh, school, extracurricular activities, taking care of our kids, taking care of our house, our cars, and all of that. And so with those day-to-day struggles, they have a way of distracting us from eternal things. And not only do they distract us, they also remind us we long for something more. If we're honest, in the course of uh, day-to-day life, we live with disappointment and frustration. And we're wondering when it's going to get better We long to be part of something greater. No matter who we are, we're hardwired for something more. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, if I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Does that resonate with you? Do you have desires that can't be fulfilled by anything in this world? C.S. Lewis, I think, was kind of borrowing from Ecclesiastes 3.11, where the writer says he has put eternity into man's heart. All of us deep down know that there is an eternity and that we're made for something more. All of us long to be part of a greater story. And all of us want to be part of a, a happy ending, don't we? We love happy endings, at least most of us. You know, when you think about movies, um, your favorite ones are the ones that end typically with a happy ending. was talking to uh, somebody this week that actually um, would prefer the, the head-scratching ending. Um, I'm not going to name names, but he's over here to my, to my right. Um, Laughter the head-scratching ending. Uh, most of us, though, we, we really love the, the happy endings. And then we were talking about, uh, if, you, if you guys know the, uh, the Toy Story series, all right? And, and I don't know about you, but I loved Toy Story 3. Like, that was the perfect ending, right? This, this should have been the last movie, but then they, they did Toy Story 4, and I don't know what was going on with that movie and the ending in particular, if you haven't seen it yet, go and see it, and hopefully you identify with me. Bothered me. I, I like the perfect ending, right? And, 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 and we're made for that. We, we wanna be part of a perfect ending. And so today, we're gonna close out this series and remind ourselves of how the story ends and how eternity should be pressed into our everyday lives. So, so the main point, the main point that I want to unpack is this. Believing in eternity should make a big difference in your everyday life. Believing in eternity should make a big difference in your everyday life. So with that in mind, let me read from 2 Peter chapter three, verses 11 to 14. This is the word of God. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, or blemish, and at peace. So let me give you the, the context uh, leading up to these verses. So in Second Peter chapter three verse one, Peter writes, "This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder." So Peter is very clear about his purpose. He is writing to stir us up and to remind us. This is not the first time he states his purpose. Back in 1 Peter chapter 1, 13 to 15, he writes, I think it right as long as I am in this body or in this tent to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort So that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So so notice again, he's coming to the end of his life. And Peter wants, above all, to remind us. To stir up our minds, to remember. So, So what is it that he wants us to remember and to recall? Well, specifically we see in verse 2 of chapter 3 that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. So, So basically what he's saying here is I want you to remember what the Old Testament prophets have said and I want you to remember what Jesus has said and I want you to remember what the apostles have said regarding Christ's second coming. He wants us to never forget that Jesus is coming back. Now, now think about the author here, Peter. He loved his savior. He was the leader of the apostles. And if you remember, was the one who denied his savior. Jesus reinstated him, restored him, and he longed to be reunited with his savior. Oh, I want you to come back. I miss you. I long for you to return. And so he's telling us, I want, I want to remind you that he is gonna come back. He is returning to stir up their minds to remember. This was done in a tone of love. You notice there in verse one, he speaks to them as his beloved. In fact, four times in chapter three, he calls us his beloved. So he's stirring us up in love with urgency, love and care for us to consider that Christ will return again. Now why is this so important for Peter? Well the situation as we see in verse three is that there are scoffers and false teachers who are questioning the second coming. Verse three, knowing this first of all that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. Verse four, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? It's almost like they're they're laughing. Like, really? Seriously? You think Jesus is gonna come back again? Scoffing at this truth. And meanwhile, they're living for the pleasures of the world, saying, why don't you just join along with us? He's not coming back. So they're planting this this seed of doubt and, and cynicism, and it's seeping into the church. They're counteracting the truth of the prophets and the apostles, leading God's people astray. They're stirring up in the wrong sense that the second coming will never happen. And in so doing, they're spreading despondency in the church of Jesus Christ. I thought about this question for us today. What are we stirring up? What are we reminding each other of? as those who love Jesus and long for his coming, what are we stirring up in one another? Fear regarding the end of the world? Conspiracy theories? What are we stirring up as we talk about Christ's second coming? In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, the writer of Hebrews says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So listen, as the day draws near, we need to stir one another up to love and good deeds and to not neglect to meet together. And, and given the fact that this is a day with, with icy roads, right, we should long, I wanna be with my church family. Yes, I'm glad that you're joining us online, but for the course of the year, if you find yourself neglecting the meeting of God's people. We, we need this. We need to be present with one another to stir each other up to love and good works. And all the more as we see the day drawing near. Peter probably had something to do with this as well as he met with the church at Thessalonica in chapter four of 1 Thessalonians says this Paul says then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will always be with the Lord notice what it says next therefore encourage one another with these words how do we encourage one another we encourage one another that Jesus is going to return and we will meet him and we will be with them forever how long has it been since you've encouraged someone like that That's biblical, hope-filled words of encouragement. One chapter later says almost the same thing in verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So this is something that the apostles just expected us to do, to to continue to stir one another up by way of reminder that Christ is coming again, to, to give that hope that yeah, he's returning, he's coming. Keep living for him, keep pressing into the reality of eternity. So let's be like Peter as he starts off here and stir up our minds to recall and remember Christ's second coming. Now specifically, what does he want to stir up their minds to remember in regards to the second coming? I think there are two things that we see here in this text. And before I tell you what those two things are, you're going to notice that Peter doesn't go into detail about the tribulation. He doesn't go into detail about the millennium. He doesn't get out all of the charts to tell you how this is gonna happen on the timeline. Peter, and this is instructive for us who, who wanna know all of the intricacies of the last days and figure it all out in our minds. There's reason why he chooses to be simplistic here. He's driving toward application. That this reality of eternity is coming And this is going to make a difference in your everyday life. That's what his concern is. How is it making a difference in your daily life? How is it changing the way that you live? So, here's what he says. Two things are going to happen in the end. Number one, the earth and everything on it is going to burn. It's going to be purged. The earth and everything on it is going to burn. And secondly, the new heavens and new earth will stand in its place. The new heavens and new earth will stand in its place. So this first one. The earth and everything on it is gonna burn. Look at verse seven of chapter three. By the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. I think Peter, with verse 10 in particular, is drawing from the words of Jesus. Back in Matthew 24, Jesus said this, therefore stay awake, stay awake, For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The same language we see over in 1 Thessalonians again where it says, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security and sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So the imagery of a thief coming in the night. This is sudden, unexpected, nobody knows when this will happen, including Jesus. Only the Father knows the hour when the Son will come again. And it will come suddenly and unexpectedly, and so the point is we need to be awake and ready. Now I think Peter never got over the fact that he was sleeping when his Savior needed him the most. Remember that, the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus is praying. Would you come and join me and just pray with me? Peter falls asleep. Stay awake, he says, stay awake for his second coming. Be ready because it's coming like a thief in the night, like labor pains suddenly and unexpectedly. It's coming like a thief and it's coming like fire fire. Some of you were here when we walked through the book of Malachi in these verses. I tremble when I read them. Malachi chapter 4 verse 1. For behold the day is coming burning like an oven. (sighs) This is coming. When all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming, that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. A day is coming. The day of judgment is coming. Pictured as a fire. Now there is there's some disagreement, controversy over whether or not These words refer to a fire that will destroy the entire world altogether, to obliterate everything? Or is this a fire that will be a purging and purifying fire, much like the flood was? I happen to think it's the latter. Regardless, this fire is coming to purge and to purify and to transform this earth into something new, which leads us to this second point that Peter is reminding us. So, The earth and everything on it is going to burn. Secondly, the new heavens and new earth will stand in its place. Verse 13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. It seems strange for God to to purify or purge or destroy this world, but we've gotta remember the truth in Romans chapter eight where Paul says this, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So listen, we live right now in a broken, fallen world that is groaning, groaning for redemption, and we join along with creation. Oh, how we want this world to be transformed into something new and our bodies to be transformed into something new for Christ to return to make all things new. We long for that day groan for it. The angst that you feel with this broken, fallen world is a groaning and a longing for Jesus to come. It's not that everything would be perfect here. It never will be. By the way, this is a danger when we start to think that somehow we can have a Christian utopia Here in the United States, it's not going to happen, guys. Doesn't matter who's in charge, matter who. All the policies of the leaders, we will not experience a Christian nation until Jesus returns again. Won't. Our only hope is a King who is righteous, who will reign over us forever, where righteousness dwells in this new heavens and new earth. That's our hope. That's who we want to return again. And so we can have a danger here of kind of this over-realized eschatology. Theologians talk about this, eschatology is simply the study of the end times. And when we have an over-realized eschatology, we are prone to think that this earth should already look like the new earth and the new heavens. So, so we kind of get upset and think, well, why is this person sick? And, and why? Does this person have cancer? Are they not having faith enough to believe that Jesus came to heal us from all of that? That's a problem, that's a danger. The ultimate healing is coming when Jesus returns again. Until that day, there there will be a fallenness and a brokenness to this world. Another danger is that we can actually think that we can have some kind of perfection, spiritual perfection in this life. There are actually people that think that I've arrived at this state of perfection. I remember even in college, there was a guy who said, I haven't sinned like in a week. And I looked at him like, oops. Looks like you just did. Pretty prideful to say that. We've gotta realize that we're living in a fallen, broken world, and yet there is a promise, there is a promise. All the way back in Isaiah 65, the prophet Isaiah writes, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. There is the promise in Isaiah. This old world is unrighteous, this new world is where righteousness only will dwell because King Jesus, the righteous one, will rule over us. In Revelation 21, at the the very end of the story, the promise is realized. We see John write this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Can you imagine? seated on the throne said behold I am making all things new and also he said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. So this old earth is going to give way to a new earth. The old passes away the new emerges. The word new in the Greek kainos actually means to be remade. It's the same word in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, behold, the new has come. So we think of the caterpillar, right? There's this old body that's done away with and this new butterfly that emerges. There's continuity with the old, but the new is completely transformed. We think of Jesus' resurrection body. There's some continuity. Uh, He has a body, he can still eat, but now he can disappear and reappear with no limitations. And so there's coming a day when God's going to do the same thing with this world. He's going to renew this world. And not only that, he's gonna bring relief to this world. No more crying, no more pain, no more death. And he's going to bring about a great reunion with his people. It's gonna be the thing that we long for most where he says, behold the dwelling place of God is with man, he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. So this renewal, this relief, and finally this reunion. And so here's my question then. What do we do then in this time of waiting for that day to arrive? What do we do in this time of waiting? And you notice in verses 12, 13, and 14, that word waiting is repeated for emphasis, we are waiting. Now waiting in the Bible is not passive, it's not irritating, it's not annoying, it's not like waiting on hold with somebody forever. Have <laughs> have experienced that recently. It's not annoying, it's not irritating, it's not passive, it's active. And it's life changing. And it's not just what you get at the other end, it's who you're becoming as you're waiting. So, what do we do in this time of waiting? Number one, repent while there is still time. Repent. While there is still time, look at verse nine with me. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That all should reach repentance. So God is holding back the final day so you would repent. To turn around. You've been going this way. Toward your sin, toward your selfish desires, living life for you, repent, turn around, turn to Jesus in faith and come to him, saying sorry for your sin and believing in him as the one who has come to take all your sin and punishment at the cross and to rise again from the grave, and to offer you everlasting life by simply believing in him, trusting in him, not in yourself, in your good works, but only in Christ and what he has done for you. In Romans 2, verses three and four, Paul says, do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? It's interesting in verse 3 there, we have the tendency to be critical of everybody except ourselves. You find yourself comparing yourself to other people instead of repenting of your own sin? His kindness is meant to lead you toward repentance. He's coming after you with his kindness. I love you, I know you, I see you, and I'm coming to cover your sin with my grace through my son Jesus. Don't take his kindness for granted. Come to him even today and repent. Pastor Johnny said the word Maranatha. The Lord is coming is what the word means. And it could be today. This may be your last chance to repent of your sins and turn to Jesus and be saved. Repent while there is still time. Number two, what do we do in this time of waiting? We live differently in light of eternity. We live differently in light of eternity. Verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness. You see the sentence structure there, since what sort? So if this is true, if there's going to be a purging and a purifying fire that's coming to dissolve everything here on the earth, and there's a new heavens and new earth that will stand in its place, if that's true, then it ought to change the way you live today is what Peter is saying here. You ought to live differently, distinctively different in light of eternity. The same logic is used by John in 1 John 2:15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. He's referring to the world as a system here and its secular values. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So notice again, the world is passing away. So why are you living for the world? That's insane that you would invest your life into this world Right, that you would put so much time and so much money and so much energy into something that's going to be burned up. Invest, invest your life into eternal things is what Peter is saying here. That's the motivation. Nearly every New Testament command is tied to the second coming of Christ. That's our motivation. It's coming again. Paul Tripp says that this is not our destination, but preparation for the final destination. This is not our destination. This is preparation for the final destination. So how does that change the way that we live? I mean, think about this in just in light of a couple things like parenting. In light of eternity. How does it change the way that we look at our kids? Well, we won't get uptight about really small things. We won't sweat the small stuff. and Try to be the perfect parent in every single way. We will care about their eternity. Parenting is mainly preparation for eternity. Yes, it's preparing them for adulthood, but more than that, it's preparing them for eternity, parents. So that, that changes our perspective and the way that we approach them, right? When they're struggling in sin, is it about their behavior? man, I'm angry that you did this, or I love you and I know that you are a sinner like me and you need Jesus. Yes, your behavior matters, but your heart matters more. And I want your heart to know and trust Jesus because he will change you in a way that I can. not What about your job? You <laughs> Think about that, like eternity and my job Do you think about those two things together? Or is this just a Sunday thing? How does it affect your Monday? Some of you are really uh, discouraged at work and you're disappointed. And I'm sorry if that's you. But remember, you're living in a fallen world. And your forever is coming this life right now is not meant to be perfect. We should be surprised by good days, right? God's common grace, this is a good day. Not to shape the way we look at perhaps those who are lost in our workplace that need Jesus and how we're living differently with hope, with kindness and love, pointing them to the Savior. So much we could say here but live differently in light of eternity. You've probably heard this quote before, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. So what do we do in this time of waiting? One, repent while there is still time, two, live differently in light of eternity, and then thirdly, be at peace with God and one another. Be at peace with God and one another, verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, at peace. We as Christians, when we think about the second coming, when we think about the end of the world, we ought to have peace. It passes all understanding. There's a security, a deep security there. My future is certain. If we have any kind of anxiety, it ought to be for those who don't know Jesus Christ. A good kind of concern. But we ought to have a peace this world cannot give us. So peace with God, but also peace with one another, right? Peace with one another. <laughs> We're all broken people here in this room, right? In a broken, fallen world. And so let's, let's do what Hebrews 10 tells us to do. Let's build each other up. We need to be built up in love and good deeds and to be at peace with one another, knowing that we're gonna spend eternity together. So let's let's start being at peace now, because we'll be forever with one another. It's a preview of what's to come. I read recently an author who said that the church ought to be a place where we see heaven and earth collide we see whispers and glimpses of what it's going to be like one day in glory. That's a sweet word to think about. This this can be kind of a little preview, a little glimpse, a little whisper, right, of what's to come. The love that we have for one another, the unity that we have for one another as we praise the Savior together. So let me end this way. Why should we live like this? One of the surprises as I studied this text was found in verses 11 and 12 again. I'll close with this. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. So so hold on a second here. Look at what he's saying here. Yes, we're waiting, but we're hastening the coming of the day of God. We are speeding his coming. We're hurrying his coming by our holy living is what he's saying. So, so if you know the word of God, then you're starting to think, well, wait a second. Isn't that a fixed point when Christ is going to return? How can we hasten that day along? And then you've got to remember that God not only ordains the ends, but he ordains the means to that end. So he's ordaining the love you have for your brothers and sisters in Christ. He's ordaining the works that you have been prepared to step into to serve one another, to share the gospel, to pray, right? Your kingdom would come, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. All those things we are stepping into as we're hastening the coming of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I think about, as I get older, and I know some of you in this room are a little ahead of me, But I don't, I don't wanna just sit on the couch and complain to my TV about how horrible this world is and get on Facebook and just join the chorus of complaints. I wanna give my life for the sake of the kingdom. I wanna stir up people by way of reminder, he's coming again. I wanna encourage people. I wanna love people. I wanna lead people to Jesus. I wanna pray, I wanna be about kingdom work while I still can. I wanna hasten the coming of our great Savior. Would you join me in that? Let's pray together. Father, we stand here, we sit here as people who are headed towards eternity. And it's, it's coming quickly. And we thank you that you've allowed this time, you are so patient for us to repent while there's still time and to come to you and say, I need you, Jesus, in my life. I confess. I've been running the other way and I wanna run to you in faith now and trust you as my Lord and Savior. And I wanna live for you, not this world that's passing away. I wanna live for eternal things. I wanna be at peace and I wanna I wanna help others to know you and to trust you. i want to make my life to count and to hasten the coming of the day of Jesus. It's gonna be a glorious day when you return and we want everybody to join in. With every knee we'll bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God, the Father. May we be about that work for your glory, in Jesus' name.